Hi, and welcome to The Trail to Austin, a place to get to know the people of Austin and how they became the people of Austin. I'm your host, Bob Morse, and across town in the McCall compound is my co-host, Joel. Uh, How you doing, Joel? Hello from Skater Valley. Yeah. So um, we're going to do something a little different this week. Normally, we talk to our guests about, you know, their business or their if they're a musician, how they're making a living in Austin and why Austin's a great place to uh, do business or whatever. But we're going to take a step back a little bit and take a look at the overall uh, economy of Austin and especially in light of this pandemic and stuff like this. So our guest today, I've, um, I've been watching him for years. He gives the official economic forecast for the city of Austin uh, he, he's been doing it over 30 years, so longer than I've been here. Um, but the other day I was reading an article that caught my attention about the, a possible decrease in population growth. Listen carefully, folks, decrease in population growth. <laughs> okay. It's not that people are moving out or anything. And, um, I saw his name attached to this article. And I thought I'd like to reach out to him and see if he'd like to talk to us and, and help everybody understand what's going on right now with the economy in Austin and stuff like that. So I'd like to introduce to you the uh, founder of International Accelerator, the principal executive officer of Angelou Economics, Angelos Angelou. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Robert. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, not a problem. Your I'm, podcast. I'm glad to have you here because, as I told you the other day, I'm – I know who you are because I'm kind of an economics geek, but um, <laughs> our av- average listener may not be. So can you tell them a little bit about your background? Well, I've um, lived in Austin for 36 years now. I came to Austin to uh, be the chief economist and to be the vice president for economic development for the Chamber of Commerce, where I've uh, stayed there for almost 12 years. And shortly after, I started my own consulting company, Angelo Economics, which has been engaged in uh, economic development consulting throughout the country and the world. And uh, for many, many years, actually 30 years, I organized the annual economic forecast for Austin, where we had the convention center packed with 1,200 people that would uh, come to listen our annual forecast. So I'm a the local economist, as they, they say. Um, and, um, you know, I, I have an intuitive understanding of how the economy here works and how it works from the point of view of economic development, which, um, it, it allows me to have a fairly accurate forecast as accurate as I guess they can be. Yeah. So, you know, Austin's experienced, um, unprecedented growth over the last two decades. Why is this a unique city? Um, first and foremost, um, cities don't become economic engines overnight. Austin has been at work uh, for over 25, 30 years in building a very strong foundation for uh, economic development. But I would say the greatest asset that we have is our workforce and our education. We predominantly have young people in our workforce. And, um, you know, there's over 
400,000 college and university students within a 100-mile radius of Austin. And um, if a company were to be concerned about their future labor supply, Austin is um, better suited to provide a labor supply than any other city in the country. And I say that because there's no other city in the country with over 400,000 college and university students within 100 miles of its own. Um, not New York, not LA, not Chicago, even though those cities are far, far larger than Austin. Yeah. So you've been creating this economic forecast for over 30 years. Um, and it, you usually, if I remember right, release it in the spring. How has this year affected that? Well, the forecast uh, event was actually held in January every year, but I quit doing those. Uh, four or five years ago, okay. um, because I didn't want—I didn't want to be in the event planning business. Mm-hmm. However, I've continued developing the forecast and speaking uh, with uh, to private groups as I'm invited. Um, some of them pay me; some I do for free if if they're non for profits, and I try to accommodate as many requests as possible. So this year's forecast uh, obviously was going very well until COVID-19 became uh, the new reality. Uh, Just from a a performance perspective, uh, in 2018, our economy created about 36,000 jobs. In 2019, it finished the year with 42,000 jobs. And the first uh, quarter of this year was um, up by 16,000. However, that was cut short uh, because of the coronavirus. And today we're now looking at, as of um, the almost end of April, April 25th, over 82,000 people being unemployed in the Austin metro area. And I believe that number... Um, has uh, risen to almost 150,000 by now and is likely to go even higher. I suspect that um, we will reach a peak sometime in July, August timeframe, and hopefully our economy, if we get control of the coronavirus, uh, will begin the very slow to recover. So the recovery is not going to be a V like recovery is going to be a very slow recovery. I've heard a lot of people liken it to an L laying very sloped. (laughs) Um, I agree with you. And a lot of it is going to depend on um, the consumer sentiment, because as you know, our national economy is driven by consumer consumption, almost two thirds of it. And if consumers feel safe to go out and spend, they will spend. But if consumers uh, are still thinking that there is quite a bit of a risk out there, they are not. And um, so the retail sector, the hospitality industry, the airlines have been hit very hard. But let's not forget also the hospitals. Um, all the hospitals have been... Um, organized to deal with the coronavirus. And as you know, we have less than 160 people hospitalized in all of our hospitals put together. 
and there's no normal activity of um, surgeries, elective surgeries, or anything else taking place. And um, we're going to see massive layoffs in the hospitals if if uh, the economy does not turn around. That's kind of ironic when you it think is. about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have, I don't know how many beds we have in central Texas, probably, I would say, a couple of thousand. And to have only 160 of those <laughs> be occupied, and, and doctors not being able to do surgeries of any kind and working out of the house, um, it's, uh, it's very difficult mm -hmm. to keep any business going. So on one hand, we have the human loss of the deaths that the coronavirus has caused. And, and that's uh, very tragic uh, and very important to remember. However, on the other hand, we also have an economy that is really going to a significant recession, that if that recession is very prolonged, there will be even a greater human suffering because so many people are currently unemployed. And if the prospects for them are not going to change in the course of um, the next few months so that they can be rehired, we're talking about a human catastrophe uh, of significant proportions because people have to have jobs. Yeah. And let me also add that there's not, there's not enough money in, in the U.S. to continue to support businesses that struggle financially. The only way that businesses can survive is for the economy to get back in business. Um, you know, the, uh, the stimulus that has been announced is going to be spent. It will help the economy a little bit. But that's not a long-term solution. The longer this coronavirus lasts, the bigger the challenge will be for our businesses to stay in business and recover. Yeah. So let's um, that you you touched on the numbers there, but let's talk about the numbers for a minute. I mean, um, they're saying 33 million in the last seven weeks have filed mm -hmm. for unemployment. Um, obviously, there's a number of people who can't file because the systems won't handle the volume. Uh, it was 14.7% uh, unemployment they announced on Friday. Was that the correct number? Yes. Okay. So, and obviously we Correct, see but that's, um, that's the new definition of unemployment. If you look right. at uh, U, U6, U6 <laughs> it's, yeah, you, you're looking at closer to 20% unemployment right now. Yeah, and um, we're we are very. Oh, Go I'm, ahead. Robert. I was just saying we were expecting a rise next month, I believe too, right? So, absolutely. My forecast is that uh, the unemployment rate is going to peak at about forty-five million people. Wow! And that's um, that's one third of our workforce. Yeah, that's and a devastating number. And during the depression of the 1920s, our unemployment had gone to 24.7%. We are going to be pretty close in reaching that number. Do you anticipate a recession becoming a depression? Well, that's uh, always a possibility. Uh, there are two things that can prevent that from happening. One is that the could be a new 
cocktail of drugs that will take people out of the hospitals. In other words, um, have them recover quicker. And But that does not necessarily eliminate the spread of the virus. Um, the virus is out of business only through a vaccine or several vaccines. There's over 100 companies now worldwide working on developing a vaccine. I hope they are successful, and they are successful soon. But most of the experts, and I'm not a medical expert, will tell you that it will take uh, at least nine months to almost three years to develop a, a vaccine that is effectively going to uh, deal with this uh, virus. Uh, it has to be tested. Uh, I know the government has shortcut the process in the best way that they could to have the vaccine earlier. But vaccines are also dangerous. Uh, we want to make sure that the vaccine works. As we know, some vaccines work for certain people and for others do not. Um, and I hope that the coronavirus is not mutated uh, over time. There are now over 30 strands of, of the virus. And it's hard to pinpoint <laughs> So the development of vaccine, if this thing continues to grow and mutates. So um, we hope um, that the vaccine will put the coronavirus out of business so that we, so that we can go about our, our business. normal business. <laughs> yeah. Um, so something you and I talked about the other day was the layers of effects, because it's easy for people to see the restaurants, hotels, airlines, and stuff like that shut down, but then it starts spreading out. And it seems like that's what we're in the process of right now. I mean, I noticed Boeing the other day announcing layoffs and U.S. Steel. And you wouldn't, th you would think, well, what does that have to do with the virus? But I mean, Boeing a little more easy to see, but U.S. Steel, hmm, a little, a little different. Well, I think it's um, the result of the virus and, and the effect that it has had on business growth and expansion. Uh, definitely the construction industry is going to be affected. Uh, typically, the projects that are underway will be finished. But any other construction project in the planning stages probably has been canceled or put on hold indefinitely until we get control of the, of the virus. So I can see where U.S. Steel will be affected directly uh, from uh, the coronavirus. Um, Boeing and the airlines, of course, when there is no travel business going on, uh, they have a long, long way to recover. And I expect that there will be some consolidation among the airlines. Um, the biggest fear is also the retail economy. Mm -hmm. As you know, um, some of the largest uh, retailers, the brick-and-mortar retailers, are going to uh, be out of business. And already J.Crew and um, Neiman Marcus mm -hmm. are filing for bankruptcy, and I think this is likely to continue. Um, and continue such a way even beyond coronavirus, as people now have been accustomed to order the groceries online and shop online, I think that um, might become a permanent trend. And the brick and mortar retailers are going to be in a long, tough battle, in my view. 
Yeah, and so well, another- it seems to be a pretty common idea that everything's going to change uh, because our lives have been turned upside down, and it's going to redefine how life in America works. Um, Joel, you're absolutely right. Uh, people often talk about uh, going back to normal. There's no normal. It's going to right. be a new normal. And what that might be, we don't know that yet. But we know that uh, there's going to be a new normal. There's no way of going back to our old ways. Um, I'm worried about education. You know, what happens if uh, for the schools that for the kids that effectively lost one semester of education, what happens if the schools do not open in September or August, I should say? Um, because there's apparently a new coronavirus symptoms that a lot of young kids have been inflicted with, not in huge numbers, but it's expanding. There's over 50 cases where very young kids are uh, dying from respiratory uh conditions that are very closely related to coronavirus, but they haven't come to the conclusion that it's coronavirus. Well, that is not going to send back to school all the K through 12 kids. Um, Maybe some universities will open. And at the same time, I just don't know how you um, create social distancing on kids K through 12. (laughs) particularly the younger ages. I mean, they're not aware of maybe some of their actions. They're not taking a lot of instructions seriously. I hope that there's a way so that we can all go back to school, and I hope that, um, you know, schools can open up again. So let me ask you this. since a, a real controversial topic right now is do we open businesses or do we not? How do we open businesses? How do we start the economy? What is your uh, personal feeling on that? Well, uh, the governor has ordered um, the opening of businesses with some precautions and qualifications. Restaurants are open for business, but they can only um, um, serve at 25% capacity. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, if the coronavirus spread does not spread dramatically because we're opening up, then that can go to 50 and 75%. But I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. The governor and the authorities in general, I think they are right to want to open the economy because uh, you have one month or two more of closure and I, we're going to have a significant depression for sure. Um, so um, since we have not dealt with a situation like this, it's really difficult to predict what might happen. And um, I, I heard that the coronavirus was going to be uh, peaking in early April by Easter. And that has never happen. Now we're talking about middle of May. Well, we're middle in middle of May, but that has not peaked. And I don't think it's going to be June. I think it's going to be maybe July and August and, and hope that um, people take precautions and don't have this 
uh, spread around even at higher rates. What was of concern to me uh, a week ago, it was that the CDC taken in consideration that the economy is going to be opening up. They predicted that the new coronavirus cases will um, increase from 27,000 new cases per day that we have averaged so far in the last 30 days or so, that uh, the disease is going to afflict 200,000 people per day. Um, I hope they're wrong. <laughs> I really hope they're wrong, because if this is the case, uh, it's going to be hard to convince people to go back to work. Businesses may want to be open, but if people don't want to go to work, um, no legislation, no one will uh, ever make people go to work or be asked to go and shop. Mm -hmm. uh, so businesses can be open, but uh, that doesn't mean that people are going to be engaged in the, in the economy. Well, we've seen that. So yeah. that was a... Uh, go ahead, um, Robert. I was, I'm sorry. I was just saying we've seen that in the meatpacking industry where they've reopened the plants and people aren't showing up. Well, I have a friend who is in uh, construction-related uh, segment. He's in the granite and marble installation business. And he told me that, um, you know, obviously as a businessman, uh, his business has withered down to nothing. And uh, but but he was a, a bit concerned that the businesses were asked to open too soon, because none of his employees wanted to go to work. So he's worked over the last ten fifteen years training qualified um, installers, um, and he doesn't want to those to lose to lose those folks because they refuse to go to work. So he cannot necessarily fire them. Um, because he's going to have to start retraining workers from the very beginning. And that's also costly. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, so taking a look at it from your standpoint, what do you see as our way back to getting, getting businesses back open? What, what would be the smart and prudent thing to do as we're walking through this to try to get our economy going again? Well, I think people are desperate. They do want to re-engage in the economy. They do want to go out and uh, eat a pizza at a restaurant or have a nice meal. Um, I just hope <clears throat> that just because the businesses are open, that we don't forget to recognize that the coronavirus is a very, very dangerous virus. And we don't relax our own individual uh, hygiene and uh, making sure that um, we're not infected. I have been somewhat critical. <clears throat> Excuse me, my throat is hurting. Um, <clears throat> um, I've been somewhat critical that um, we haven't dealt with this disease like China or New Zealand or South Korea. They forced everyone to testing. They quarantined people dis despite the fact that they did not want to be quarantined. 
and they eliminated this disease from their countries. Uh, I shouldn't call it disease, it's a virus. Um, I'm using those terms interchangeably and sometimes I should not, but um, um, we are not spending a lot of money for testing. Um, we, by now, should have had universal testing. It will be much less costly to get the coronavirus out of business, or otherwise it's going to put us out of business. And um, the, the spread continues. There's, we're not arresting this virus at all. And if we somehow think that this is going to go away on its own, um, I don't think it is. Uh, it's going to continue to linger for a long, long time. So unless we go through some universal testing, whether it's at home or elsewhere, it's going to be costly. I'm, I don't deny that. But the cost of supporting the economy has already um, been in the trillions and likely to continue uh, even with more stimulus. And we could have spent two or three hundred million on testing, a billion on testing, and tested everyone in the country. Yeah. And, and that is of concern to me. We're, we're, this thing is not going to, by magic, just disappear one day. We have to deal with it. Absolutely. So, uh, Joel, did you have any more yeah. high-level questions? Because if not, I'd like to move to uh, Austin. Well, I do have one question. Sure. Uh, and my wife and I talk about this. It's prior to the virus, there was all this talk about the national debt and, and boom, there are trillions of dollars. Okay. What I don't hear anybody talking about is who's going to pay for that and how is that going to happen? Well, Joel, that's a very valid question, and I'm sure a lot of people are concerned about it. But in the time of crisis, both uh, Democrats and Republicans heeded to the need to support businesses, and they had to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, if we need to come up with another stimulus of 2 or $3 trillion, it's going to be dangerous. Um, there's hope that a lot of these debts may be covered by a warlike bond issue of several trillion dollars with very, very low interest rates and be paid over not 20, 40 years that usually bonds uh, have in duration, but over 100 years. And in that case, you hope that inflation over time is going to help pay down uh, that debt. Um, but that's the only way to do it. Um, the debt is was already at about what 107 yep. percent. Um, now with a, another three trillion, it's uh, I'm sure a lot higher. I have not calculated how much it is. But um, you know the U.S. economy is 20 to 21 trillion. So when you spend $3 trillion, $3.2 trillion, that's a lot more debt. But it had to be done uh, sure. to boost the businesses and the confidence on uh, the businesses and hopefully the people. Ultimately, the people is what we need to convince 
that uh, it's okay and it's safe to get back to work. Cool. So, I mean, that's that's been the way, you know, I don't even know what to say about the dead aim. <laughs> I just look at it and go, okay, whatever. Um, because it just seems well, I so think you're exactly right. It had to be done. Yeah. And I don't think anybody is questioning that. No. Uh, and it's just kind of like, well, don't look over here in the corner. <laughs> we'll deal with that later. Yeah, you won't like what you see. <laughs> um, a critical moment will be reached in 2025 because um, – as you know, the Jobs Act that was passed by this administration uh, provided um, tax cuts for businesses indefinitely. But for the people, they all expired by 2025. And hopefully we can get to some kind of normal economic time by 2025. Um, it has to be done. Because how are taxes going to be paid at a higher rate when people are out of jobs, when the economy is still recovering? Uh, it's uh, it's something that we are going to have to be faced with. And it's uh, very dangerous. I think um, we've also exhausted the monetary policy right now. I mean, interest rates are down to 0%. And we can only spend on infrastructure to provide some impetus to the growth of our economy. We cannot just be bailing money with money our businesses. That can we don't have enough money in the world to do that. You know, the the U.S. economy has a GDP of twenty to twenty-one billion. The market valuation of all the securities in the U.S. is over a hundred. Um, trillion. I, I meant billion. I should have said trillion. Mm -hmm. So um, the the monetization of the economy uh, is much much higher than the GDP of our country. So um, we cannot bail every business out um, unless you know. We find a way through a long-term bond, a hundred-year bond, war-like bond, like we did during World War One and Two, to uh, help pay for it over the long haul. Yeah. So, um, moving to the Austin economy. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, Austin's been doing wonderful for years. We've had, you know, just growth after growth after growth. And we've weathered a few storms. We had the tech bust um, in the early 2000s that that one seemed to affect Austin a little more than the Great Recession did. Um, the Great Recession did affect us, but it seemed like it was way worse in other cities than Austin. How are we weathering this one? Um, the same as everyone else. It has impacted the local economy seriously. I looked at some reports the other day that um, the March uh, retail sales were down by 50%. And that was only two weeks of data that was negative. Uh, so everyone is going to be looking to the April numbers and May. I don't think that they're going to be pretty. Um, so the city is likely to be faced with a budget uh, shortfall. 
all cities will. Uh, property values may also be affected next year. So um, I'm sorry to say that, but uh, the public sector is going to also have to look at cutting expenses and maybe having some layoffs because there's no there's no other way of um, having the revenues that the city needs to keep up with the services uh, that it has been accustomed to. So, as you know, the, the sales tax is about 25% of the city's revenue, and roughly about 45% or so is from property taxes. So, we're going to see a, a significant impact on the real estate market. I think a lot of office users may continue to have people working out of their homes, may not need all of that space. Um, and uh, I think landlords uh, might be even willing to renegotiate rents, lower rents, so that they don't lose good tenants. Um, so um, some of the reports I've heard is that 30% of the office users are asking the landlords to take back 30% uh, of the space that they have and renegotiate the lease. And uh, the same thing for residential properties and apartment rents. Although apartments is uh, a little bit more secure because people have to live somewhere. Um, homes is a different story because you have to have the credit uh, to be able to afford to buy a house. So less sales tax coming from revenue, potentially less property tax coming to the city. Um, it, the city is going to have to make some tough decisions in the months. Uh, ahead, and I think they will. Uh, they recognize those trends. They are following those trends. Uh, this is not going to go away, so we have to deal with it one way or another. Yeah, so um, we're looking at uh, about, uh, as I said earlier, about eighty-five thousand unemployed people by April twenty-fifth. That's what the official data indicates. I've heard that the first week in May, that number had risen to almost 150 for the entire metro area, wow. 150,000. So uh, definitely we're looking at our unemployment rate to to be at higher than 10%, mm -hmm. from 2.5% that it was just before the coronavirus. Wow. Yeah. So I, I, I'd read an article on this, and you probably know more about it than I do, but the uh, there was one of the new buildings being built downtown that the uh, anchor – leaser of that building had backed out of their agreement. It was a legal firm. I can't remember their name right off the top of my head, but they, they got some other office space. And so this building's being built and I believe they were leasing one third of the space in this. And you know, suddenly they're building this building with no tenant. Well, um, unfortunately that may be, more of a temporary trend for a lot of the construction that is going on because I cannot see corporations or businesses taking more space. They're going to want to put back to the market more space, um, uh, sublease space. So there will be great opportunities for sublease space, I think, in, in the next uh, maybe a couple of years. Um, when that occurs, there's, uh, you know, an effect on rates, leasing rates. 
so the impact of the coronavirus is not just on the retail and transportation and airlines. It's going to affect every company. And, and, I, and I say that even the major businesses that were expanding in Austin, Apple, for instance, and Amazon, Amazon will continue to expand because yeah. they are in the online. But would Apple be as aggressively pursuing their expansion um, in the future, even though they are a company that is probably the strongest with the strongest uh, balance sheet? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's something that they will have to answer. But I think everyone is uh, is being affected. And the hirings in the tech sector, I think, are going to be fewer and fewer in between. And we may even see, uh, not may, we are already seeing layoffs in the high-tech sector. Yeah, that was, that was when it really hit home to me when, you know, we, we expected all the stuff with the restaurants and the hotels and the airlines, like I said. But when you start seeing some of the tech companies laying off and you're going, well, wait a minute, what do you have to do with this? You know, that's mm-hmm. when you realize the, the expanding layers of this, as I was talking about. Well, Robert, look at it um, from another angle as well. Um, the virus has not afflicted every country at the same time. Everyone has been afflicted at different speeds and at different times of the year. So I hope that we can get it controlled by fall. But will it be under control by fall in Latin America? Will it be under control in India or Africa? And I'm concerned because those countries don't have the financial wherewithal or the healthcare systems in place to deal with this. So uh, it's uh, a worldwide recession uh, that will... Um, of course, less demand for imports from the U.S. or elsewhere. So how can business grow in the U.S.? We're the largest exporting power. If there's not going to be demand for airplanes <laughs> uh, or any other high-tech products. Uh, so um, it's going to be a long, drawn-out uh, recovery for our economy from that perspective as well. We should not just look at it from the U.S. perspective, we should look at it also from a global perspective and there are the ramifications for a lot of our businesses who are uh, in high tech and they're dependent on the world market for revenue. Well, so um, bringing it back locally again, I, it seems like in the past few years, the Austin economy has really started to grow on tourism, which wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily the case 20 years ago. Um, but now, of course, with the major festivals like South by Southwest and ACL Fest and the F1 event and stuff like that, seeing those canceled, that's a major economic impact to Austin. Um, what do you see our way out of that trying to diversify our revenue stream more or something like that to, to offset these kind of things? Well, um, in, in this particular area, I have a lot of personal information to share. Angel Economics uh, was retained by all of these entities to work with them to do the economic impact studies of the festival um, or events. And that business has fallen down to zero for us right now. Um, 
as these events have been cancelled, and we don't know when they may be coming back and at what capacity uh, they will be coming back. So, um, uh, as a business, I've seen the brunt of this already for in our own environment, um, and I hope it it recovers. Now, the economic impact of UT sports uh, was at about 900 million per year. Um, F1 had an economic impact of 500 or 600 million per year. And definitely ACL was at about 300. And South by Southwest was just a little bit over that. Um, and we also had clients outside of Austin on events. We are, we were contracted to do a lot of, um, Live Nation events in other states, Niantic Games uh, also. And uh, so all that business has uh, been reduced to zero right now, and we're struggling. Um, I hope it recovers soon, um, but I think that industry itself is going to also change for the time being. I think you're going to see more online uh, events, streaming events, uh, streaming uh, live music venues. The model, financial model changes a little bit. You're not going to be making a lot of money by selling sandwiches and food and drinks at the premises, but maybe advertisers will continue to be attracted to the online sector and sponsorships as well. Um, the whole model changes. So um, we're going to see what um, South by Southwest is going to do uh, for next year, and even if they did reopen it, would people participate globally like they they have been in the past? So it's um, I'm concerned about them. I mean, those are institutions that put Austin on the map worldwide, right. and um, uh, definitely they need our support. But uh, another sector is. Um, the artist, the musician who was counting on performing at a bar and earning a living, uh, that business has also fallen by the wayside. So there's going to be a lot of uh, difficulties uh, for our musicians, for our artists that don't have uh, any income and they need to be supported because I consider the creative elements of our economy very important to, to keep and grow because that's the essence of Austin. That's what Austin is all about. Absolutely. And, my, and, and my, my take is that I don't know how we got into this mess. <laughs> We're all trying to figure it out. But one thing for sure is that innovation and high tech is going to get us out of it. So, um, Joel, this so whether be it's a, mm-hmm, go Oh, ahead. I'm sorry. Joel's a musician, so I'm like, Joel, this is where you would jump in. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you're exactly right. Not only am I a performing musician, I also book music for a venue which has not had a person on the stage since the middle of March. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think it's a very interesting insight about how high tech will definitely come up with some solutions and there have been some very ingenious applications of live streaming and, mm-hmm. and, but there's just something about the human interaction that makes art so vital. Absolutely. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, no online presence can replace yeah. that. Unfortunately, right. though, the circumstances are such where uh, we're going to have to put uh, a lot of things online. Well, Joe, if you are um, interested, uh, I'll be more than happy to talk to you about a portfolio company or two that I have in the International Accelerator. One is a music platform that uh, allows musicians uh, with very low cost to have their music be streamed worldwide and ensure 500,000 people uh, streams, 500,000 streams very quickly so that musicians have the opportunity to still keep their brand and name um, very much um, uh, intact, hopefully. And um, another company in our portfolio is a, a live streaming company that is uh, phenomenal and they are the dominant player now worldwide and and yet another company that uh, you may, may want to bring on your show uh, it's from Romania and they were a fintech company working with live events uh, they have a way of um, registering and controlling uh the attendance and uh, measuring the retail spending of every client offline and uh, using facial pay. And now that business has gone down to zero for live events. So they are started a streaming service where they can still allow events to monetize uh, their business by live streaming some of those uh, conferences or events without necessarily the public attendance. I would love to talk to you about that. And you just used one of my favorite words, monetize. Monetize. Okay. Yeah. So maybe I can get in touch with you uh, apart from this. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, oh, looks like a match was made. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, well, I don't want to be self-serving here and mention the names and all that, but they are providing uh, solutions. In fact, uh, another two portfolio companies uh, early on, on their own, developed um, an app uh, that will be doing what it needs to be done using technology, uh, an app that will um, um, basically do contact tracing. Uh, so the authorities are not overwhelmed. Uh, interesting there that the larger players uh, um, do not approve this uh, app because some of the regulations uh, concerning the proliferation of technologies and apps um, they thought might be very risky for consumers and they wanted to have very recognizable names supporting an app before they will approve it at the Apple store or a Google store. And it's, it's there. Uh, it's used, but not in a way that it would be used if it was approved as an app at the Apple or Google store. Isn't contact uh, tracing one of the major components of uh, what we need to do? They had this done a month ago, and it could have been implemented by mm. any city in the entire country. Uh, in, instead, other countries overseas are looking at using it. Um, sure. You know, Apple and 
Google announced their own contact tracing by a lot allowing data. Um, but again, this is going to be a very controlled uh, environment. And uh, I would not want to have innovation stifled in any way. I would like to have no app that has contact tracing will do any harm as long as it protects the privacy uh, laws. And, and that will happen. So I just do not understand the concern of the major players in allowing the proliferation of uh, inventors and entrepreneurs to come up with solutions that we could have had two months ago. Good point. Yeah, so Good point. Uh, coming back to Austin for just a couple more questions, and then we're going to let you actually plug anything you want to plug. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> okay. The, based on Austin's background and history and stuff like that, do you feel like we're better uh, poised to recover quicker than other cities or are we just kind of have to muddle through as bad as everybody else? Um, absolutely. Um, temporarily, because of the lockdown, uh, there were roughly about 60,000 people moving to Austin every year. Um, well, I shouldn't say moving to Austin. Um, that was basically our growth in Austin. Um, about 18,000 of that is a process of deaths and births gain. And anything about 18,000 reflects in migration, people from other parts of the state of Texas and California and Florida and the Northeast moving here or internationally moving here. So with a lockdown, uh, with a lockdown on transportation, uh, therefore, people cannot move from one city to another. Moreover, in instances like these, people are going to stay home uh, where they have friends, where they have family, and be supportive of one another. And they're not going to necessarily move to another city to get a better job. But let's, uh, and that's why I said earlier that the population growth um, maybe limited to 35 or 40,000 as opposed to the 60,000 people we were accustomed to. But let there be no doubt that uh, Austin has engaged in job creation for the last 40 years. We've been one of the fastest growing cities. I would say probably the fastest technology city in the country by far. And when we have some level of the new normal, and as people are out of jobs, this is where they're going to come to because they want to want to be in a city where they can get a job easier than where they may be coming from. Uh, the construction industry is going to pick up. The technology sectors are going to start rehiring. And therefore, they better come to Austin <laughs> to find... <laughs> a job, because this is a, the easiest place, I would say, by far, for them to get reemployed. Yeah, so I, I wanted to ask you something, though, that I did read a little bit, and it it's, they were, they were talking about people moving from mega cities like New York, Chicago, and stuff like that, and some of the cities that they listed that they wanted to move to after the virus was over would be like Nashville, Austin. So do you think mm -hmm. maybe we could have a huge influx based on that? 
Well, not when the airports are not. Well, true. Um, and and when people cannot in their get in their cars and drive, uh, um, you know, definitely that will happen. Uh, but I think it's not going to happen before we get uh, a better control of the virus itself. Right. And, uh, you know, typically in normal times, during adverse economic conditions, Austin attracted even more people mm -hmm. because they wanted to have a better future for their families. And they were coming here to attract the perfect job and a higher pay. But this is a different kind of uh, situation. And people are concerned and afraid. And as long as we are still under lockdown, there's not a whole lot of movement of people that are going to be going from one state to another or one city to another city. Yeah, I think what the article was alluding to, because people saw how devastating it was in New York because they were packed in so tightly, they would want to move to more spacious cities. Is is kind of sure. what they were alluding to, but anyway. So um, I, I really want to thank you for your time today. This has been super informative and interesting. Um, I'm hoping when things start to get better, you'll come back on with us and talk about how the recovery is going and and everything's going good. So I wanted to give you a chance right now. Plug anything you want. <laughs> you can any of oh, your God. businesses, anything. And now. Now you're putting me on the spot. Um, I am an entrepreneur at heart. Uh, economic development has been my expertise in economics. But my passion is really helping uh, entrepreneurs raise capital. Um, and I've chosen um, a focus with international entrepreneurs. So... Um, the International Accelerator has attracted over 18 portfolio companies from around the world. Uh, we had been receiving close to 1,500 applicants. And um, we try to recruit the best of the best to come here to Austin and set up operations, the headquarters, if you will. And uh, that activity I'm going to continue to, to promote and grow. And my interest is to attract investors that would invest in a fund so that we can fund this brightest of the brightest <laughs> um, entrepreneurs to, to come to the U.S., achieve their dreams, but moreover, uh, engage in the U.S. economy and hire U.S. people. Uh, you know, uh, the companies that we have already employ over several hundred people. In, in their own countries, and they have been hiring people in the U.S. But as you know, the the angel market uh, for funding has dried up. Uh, venture capital has also dried up. Everyone is kind of waiting to see how the dust settles. <laughs> and um, it will settle. I'm sure it will. I, I just hope that um, I... I'm able to raise a 25 or $30 million fund to invest in these uh, young, very innovative, hardworking individuals to create opportunities uh, for Austin, for Texas, for our nation, but as well as to make um, significant profits for our investors. Was there any individual companies you'd like to plug as part of that portfolio? Well, <clears throat> um, 
I mentioned earlier to Joel that, uh, Joel, uh, maybe take a look at Fluten, F-L-U-T-I-N. It's um, like a Spotify. You can download and play any music uh, around the world. It's free, no ads. Um, but their business model is like the Google Ads Play for $5, $10. You can promote your music. They use artificial intelligence and machine learning to um, allow a music uh, to be streamed by thousands of people. For instance, uh, a band here in Austin that I thought maybe this will be a good test for me to find out. Uh, they went from 500 streams with Spotify to over 500,000 streams with YouTube. Uh, it's a different kind of model. So uh, the other one is um, Ovid, which is now trying to, to pivot from doing live people-oriented events to taking those events on on uh, on the web, um, and um, um, they could offer the ACL as the South by Southwest, the F1s, a venue eventually for doing that. Um, I like uh, a company that we recently attracted from Chile called B Readers. And they're one of the very few firms that are providing Spanish content for Spanish-speaking students. And there are 14 million in Texas uh, in K through 12. And they are an online um, web-based uh, platform so it's ideal for keeping the kids educated and making sure that um, they improve their comprehension it's known that if you are not able to comprehend in your native language um, and hispanic readership actually 50 percent of them do not understand uh, comprehension in their own language so then it's almost impossible to comprehend your second language which may be english so um they're already been used by 50,000 students in Latin America. And of course they came to the U S a week before the lockdown. <laughs> so, um, uh, he's, uh, um, he's living with me at my, my home. He's been quarantined here. I have, uh, um, a business from Mexico who has invented the best with sensors that, um, allows blind people to have a lot more freedom. In fact, maybe eventually not even have to use the cane. Um, he's going to go to production by the end of the year. And he hopes to have the first, the first blind person to run a half marathon without assistance from anybody. Wow. So it's, uh, That's cool. Phenomenal. You, there's phenomenal YouTube videos about his technology and how he's doing it. It's, uh, it's a terrific entrepreneur. Um, then, uh, gosh, I mean, I have uh, a portfolio company that is probably very mature that was engaged in labor training online. Um, they do almost 12 million workers per day now worldwide. And, um, and, and we know that more and more training is going to, is going to move online in the years to come. Um, so uh, I have uh, another portfolio company from uh, that uh, has 
smart lockers like the Amazon lockers, and they're trying to give them away to every apartment um, because there's been a huge increase in online deliveries and uh, therefore the need for, for those smart lockers. There is um, uh, a company or two that I've just recently recruited from um, India that um, um, using artificial intelligence, uh, they can do a lot for the healthcare industry. They can do a lot for the retail sector as well. And as well as measuring your brand um, online and seeing how effective it is and how it's going over time in a very different way than current technologies do. So I hope to do uh, very well with these um, companies. Sounds but like you've got your fingers and in I, a few pies. Um, it were very well diversified. It's a very diversified portfolio across industries and I invite people to go to www.internationalaccelerator.com to see all of our portfolios. Fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, like I said, this has been, for me, the economics geek, this has been so cool. <laughs> I hope our listeners find it cool as well. Um, and we really thank you for being on. And like I said, we'd like to get you back on when the uh, economy's improving a little bit and talk about how we're doing and, and where we go from there. Well, Robert, I will be delighted to do that. Um, and you're not the only economic geek out there. You have one in me as well. So uh, I, I'll, I will be delighted to uh, come again on your show. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. So for well, Joel. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Robert, for giving me the opportunity. Yeah. So for uh, Joel, Angelos, and I, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Trail to Austin.